0: Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And by nature, we were children under wrath as the others were also. But Yahweh, who is abundant in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace you are saved. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens, in the Messiah, Yeshua, so that in the coming ages He might display the immeasurable riches of His grace and His kindness to us in the Messiah, Yeshua. For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is Yahweh's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His creation, created in Messiah, Yeshua, for good works which Yahweh prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what I'd like for You to do right now is to guide our hearts and our minds. They have a tendency always to wander and to stray and to think about other things, but I pray that You would guide all of our hearts and minds to concentrate on Your Word for the next little bit. Your Word truly is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And I pray, even though I do a terrible job at it, that with the psalmist David, I would be able to hide Your Word in my heart so that I might not sin against You. Help me to do that, Father. I thank You, Father, for loving me. I thank You for blessing me. I thank You for disciplining me. I thank You, Father Yahweh, for teaching me things through my marriage, through being a parent, through being a pastor, through being a friend. I'm very, very thankful for all of that. I'm thankful to be part of this congregation where I'm just one part in the body of the Messiah. And Although we have many different members, each one is important. And we are here for one another and we're here to build and edify each other up in the faith. Father, help me in the areas where I sin against your word. Help me to be strong. Help me, Father, not to give up. Help me to keep running the race. And help me to remember even if I do not feel you, you're still there. And I can open up your word and I can read about you and what you've done among the sons of men. Father, as I teach today, I pray that, Father Yahweh, you would speak through me. I pray that it would touch someone in the congregation, no matter what age, no matter what stage or level of knowledge or learning they're at. They would receive a blessing from the sermon. They would be encouraged, provoked to love. And Father, solidified in their belief in Your Word, you and your Son. Your Son makes this all possible. You sent Him for us to be the Savior of the world. And for that, I am very thankful. I pray these things to you, Holy Father, through your Son. Amen. Praise Yahweh.
1: Isn't it great to
0: be in the house of Yahweh today? It's wonderful, isn't it? I know that this isn't the temple. This isn't the place that Yeshua called my Father's house. Remember where they were buying and selling and making merchandise in the temple and he said, you have made my father's house a den of robbers or a den of thieves. Well, we're not in his father's house today, but there's something about coming here each Sabbath and gathering together with all the family of Yahweh. And we're encouraged in faith and we're provoked to love and to good deeds. I like to be provoked to love into good deeds. Hebrews ten twenty three through 25 says this, Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is what the worship meetings are for. Encouraging one another, promoting love, promoting good works, and filling up the proverbial gas tank of our souls because the tank that felt full as we left last week feels empty as we pull into the station this week many times. Now today I want to do my best to fill up your tank with Yahweh's Word and Yahweh's promise. Yahweh's Word is His Son. Yahweh's promise is His Son. And if you're in His Son, the Messiah, the Word of Yahweh made flesh, all of Yahweh's promises are yours. In spite of your failures, in spite of your faults, regardless of your shortcomings, all those are nailed to the tree that Christ died upon. He became a curse for you. He took upon Himself the punishment that you deserve because you had broken Yahweh's unalterable, perfect, righteous standard. That is His law. Now today I would like to share with you an allegory. I've shared this with many people over the past 17 years or so, but I've never put it into a sermon, and I felt compelled to do that this week. It goes something like this. There once was a man named Joe, and please don't take offense if that is your name, Um, I don't know who will hear this sermon in the future whose name might be Joe or Joseph, but it really doesn't matter what name I use. As you'll see, this allegory applies to all of us across the board. Joe was a man who lived a terrible life. Joe was born, but he was abandoned. His birth mother left him inside of a garbage can about a mile from the shack that she birthed him in just barely And Joe never knew his birth mother, much less his biological father. Joe was told later in life that someone found him as a newborn and transported him to the closest orphanage. And there he grew up with no parents. There he began his life of cheating and stealing. And there he learned how to cheat well. There he learned how to steal so well that few ever even noticed. Joe never had anyone want him. Some families had come to the orphanage over the years, but always glanced right over Joe. He was just too rough of a kid to love. He didn't even clean up well. And at the age of 16, Joe had to leave the orphanage. But the thing is this, is he had nowhere to go. He had no parents, no grandparents, He had no aunts, no uncles, no friends really, no neighbors, no relatives. Joe was on his own and he was shoved into a dark world. Joe only knew how to steal to make a living. So that's what he did. He stole. He not only stole, but he lived a life of sexual promiscuity. Each week he involved himself in robberies and fornication. He had no clue as to what love really was. He had no idea about commitment and covenant and love to a wife. He didn't know how to vow. He only knew how to lie. He did know how to act like he swore oaths. But the whole time, he planned on cheating the person that he had vowed to. And it only grew worse from here for Joe. At one point, the only way for him to successfully steal from this one store was for him to attack the owner of the store. And so he beat the owner until the man was barely alive. Joe didn't care, though. He needed the money to pay for his drug addiction. The man could have been beaten to death, and Joe never would have thought twice about it. And this led to more violence in Joe's life. He committed a few murders after this, a few murders that the police could not track. And He began to commit such crimes boldly because he thought that he was untouchable. Joe began to rack up large sums of money for himself, and what that meant was more drugs, more women, and more of what Joe wanted until something happened. And that something was this. One night, while Joe was asleep, only because he had passed out from his drunkenness. The police raided the place that he stayed at. And they came in with weapons, and they forcefully pulled Joe from the bed, and they shoved him onto the floor, and they slapped handcuffs around his wrists. And by the time Joe actually realized what was happening, he was behind bars in a prison cell with a bunch of men who were Joe's equals. And what I mean is that all of them live lives just like Joe. And he'd been living life by doing everything that he wanted to do. But here he was now at the bottom, the very bottom, and he was locked in a room that was barely big enough to stand up in or take a few steps. And the time came for Joe to stand before the judge and to face the penalty for everything that he had done. And he knew that he was guilty. He wasn't up for even trying to argue his innocence. That wasn't going through his mind. That lie was even too big for Joe to tell. He was standing there, and he knew that what he was about to hear was going to be awful, but there was no way that he could escape the verdict that was coming from the judge. And so the judge began to list off Joe's crimes, and Joe knew that there were more crimes than the judge spoke about. The judge was only convicting Joe for what the officials knew about, but Joe knew that his sin and his crime went much deeper. And at the end of the reading by the judge, the judge looked up at Joe and he said this, Well, sir, we haven't much of a choice here. You deserve to be punished to the most severe extent of the law. You deserve to die for what you have done. And Joe stood there with his head hanging down low. He didn't even want to look at the judge the courtroom was silent. And at that time, Joe began to hear footsteps from behind him walking up to where he was standing. And he knew that there was something different about these footsteps, but Joe couldn't put his finger on what it was. And as the man walking came up to the front of the courtroom, he put his arm around Joe's shoulder, and the man opened his mouth and he said this to the judge. He said, Your Honor, Joe here has done nothing but cause trouble. He's guilty of theft. He's guilty of numerous murders. And beyond this, he's guilty of sexual immorality, drunkenness, swindling, hatred, greed, and many other things that are too numerous for me to name. And Your Honor, I know that he, Joe, deserves to die. But I am willing to take his place. I'm willing to be put to death instead of Joe so that he can be freed from the penalty of the law. And if you will accept this, Your Honor, I am willing and ready to die. Joe was speechless. He thought to himself, Who is this fellow? Who is this man? Where did he come from? Why in the world would he want to give his life for my sake? doesn't make any sense for me. What have I done to deserve this act? And the judge looked at the man that was standing beside Joe and he said, Very well, I will place all of Joe's crimes onto the account of this man and he will be punished in Joe's place. And the judge then looked at Joe and said, Sir, you are free to leave. And brothers and sisters, each and every one of us in here are Joe. You may say, well, I've never murdered anyone. But Yahweh's Word teaches that hatred towards your neighbor is the same as murder. Matthew 5, 21 through 23 You say, I'm not guilty of those sins, Brother Matthew. Not those sins. But yet Yahweh's Word teaches that if you, quote-unquote, keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you're guilty of it all. We often hear stories about people like Joe, and this is what we think. We think this, well, we're not that bad. The problem with this thinking is that we really are that bad. We think this, but Yahweh knows my heart. Brother Matthew, don't you know that? I sit down and pray every night, and He knows my heart. And we act like that's a good thing but Yahweh through the prophet Jeremiah in 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above everything else and it's desperately wicked. Our Messiah says in Mark chapter 7 that what comes out of people, what comes out of their hearts, defiles that person. This is what He says. I'll quote Mark 7, 21-23. Listen to this. This is from our Master. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. This is the fact. We are all guilty. Each one of us, in standing before the judgment seat of the Almighty, are short from the glory of Yahweh. And Yahweh doesn't grade on a curve. We like to think that He does. And He looks down from heaven and says, well, you tried and you put forth your best foot and you didn't do it perfect, but I'll go ahead and accept that half-hearted righteous act. Yahweh doesn't grade on a curve, brothers and sisters. Yahweh doesn't see ten good deeds and nine bad deeds and say, well, Matthew... You've got more good than bad, and so that makes you a perfect person. We know that judging like this is not even just. We know if a man goes 100 days without stealing, that if he steals on the 101st day, he's guilty of theft. The 100 days that he didn't steal, do not annul the sin on the 101st day. It doesn't make any sense. And in our opening text of Ephesians 2 verse 1, this is what it says. It says, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins." Paul is writing to the believers here at Ephesus. All of them. He doesn't go down a list of names and say, well, you're more worthy than this guy, or you're better off than that girl. He doesn't say that. He says you, meaning all of you, were dead in trespasses and sins. Just like Joe in the allegory. We all live in our fleshly desires. We all carried out the inclinations of our flesh. And we all were by nature the children of wrath as any other person. And what is the remedy according to Ephesians 2 verse 4? What is the remedy? Is the remedy Matthew? Is the remedy you? Is the remedy us? No. Is the remedy that we stop doing bad and all of a sudden we start doing good? No, that's not the remedy. Not according to the Scriptures. The remedy is Yahweh. Verse 4 says, But Yahweh, because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. That's the remedy. You think that Joe's walking out of the courtroom as a free man doesn't make sense? Listen. Matthew Jansen's walking out of the courtroom as a free man doesn't make sense either. And your walking out doesn't make sense. We think that Joe must suffer the penalty himself. But Yahweh loved Joe, and Yahweh accepts the life of His Son in Joe's place. He accepts the life of the Messiah in the place of all those who place their faith in Yahweh and in His Son you say, but Joe didn't deserve mercy. And you know what? You're right. He didn't. Mercy is always undeserved. Mercy is withholding from you the punishment that you do deserve. That's what mercy is. And grace is giving you the gift of salvation that you do not deserve. That's why they're called mercy and grace. Because you don't deserve either of them. Just like Joe. Just like me. But Yeshua, He doesn't need grace or mercy. He deserves salvation because He earned it. He met the demands of Yahweh's standard, which is perfection. He needs no mercy because He's never done anything wrong. And our Heavenly Father accepts Him, His Son, in our place. We get His perfection He takes our punishment. Romans 5 verse 6 says this, For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the unholy. Romans 5 8 says, But the Almighty proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 9 through 10 says, Much more than since we have now been declared righteous by His blood, we will be saved through Him from wrath. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to the Almighty through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? We're described in Romans 5 as helpless, unholy, sinners, and enemies. We are Joe but through faith in Christ we are declared reconciled and righteous. And it's all because of Yahweh's plan of His Son's perfect life, substitute sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection on the third day. See, the law of Yahweh is holy and it's perfect. But Matthew is unholy and imperfect. The law shows us what our sin is. But it doesn't have the power to remove our sin. This doesn't mean the law is bad. The law is good. As a matter of fact, it is 100% without flaw. It doesn't have one burr or knit on it. 100% holy. But it doesn't have the power to save. The law is always Yahweh's first word, always. But the gospel is Yahweh's final word. See, I'm beginning to learn that the problem inside many churches today isn't necessarily cheap grace, but rather cheap law. What I mean by that is they have concocted an outward set of regulations that make people feel like if we obey these few outward rules, the Lord loves us more than He loves the next guy down the street. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, and don't hang with the people who do. And what you produce is you produce a bunch of self-righteous hypocrites, self-righteous Pharisees, who think they are in good standing with the Father because they keep these three things or those three things or what Mama said or what Granddaddy said. And that's cheap law. That's what that is. And that's a bunch of false gobbledygook. Right, Brother McCord? He likes when I use that word. It's a bunch of false gobbledygook. Cheap law leads to self-righteousness. Cheap law leads us to works righteousness. You can even teach cheap law if you teach the right law. What I mean by that is you can teach that Yahweh grades on a curve. Or that if you get up and read your five chapters and you pray for an hour and you rebuke three people every day, you're good. And it's good to read the Scriptures. You should read the Scriptures and you should pray. But that's not what makes you righteous before Yahweh. See, Yahweh requires perfection. Don't turn that into cheap law. Yahweh doesn't require you to live righteous for one minute or one hour, but He requires you to live righteous to meet His demands from the time that you come out of the birth until the time that you go into the dirt in the casket. And I don't know about you, but I fall short of that. I don't meet that standard. And Yahweh's not gonna let down the standard for me. You ever play limbo when you were a child and you see how low you can go? And then when somebody like little David who's five can't really make it, they always raise up the pole for him and make him think like he's still going in the game. Yahweh doesn't do that. He doesn't raise and low and raise and low. His standard, his standard is set 100% righteousness. Matthew fails. Matthew makes a mess of it. Matthew doesn't do it. Yahweh requires perfection. Don't turn it into cheap law. He demands perfection. And apart from perfection, you cannot be righteous before Him. You can't do it. And this is why you must trust in the One who is perfect. The One who did no sin. The One who was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. Yahweh only accepts Yeshua's life because His is the only life that is perfect. Matthew's isn't. Yours isn't. And our placing faith in the Son of Yahweh causes all of our sin to be washed away. You see, that's way too radical. That's way too much grace. I don't know about you, but I need all the grace and the mercy that I can get. And that's not because That's not because my life is characterized by wickedness. But that's because I'm being honest and I'm being humble. I know my heart when I lay down at night. I know that there are things and there are thoughts that have went through my head that I would be terrified for even my wife to know about. And don't look at me like you're not the same. I don't want those things to be there. I don't want those thoughts or any type of action to take place in my life that's not in step with Yahweh's law. But I know that if I set my life up against Yahweh's morality that I fall so doggone short. And it's only when you're dropped all the way to the bottom and you experience a life of trying to work and work and work and keep going and keep going that you come to where your burns slap out and you realize you can't do it. But the great truth is that that was the truth all along. Yahweh knew you could not do it and that's why He sent His only begotten Son so that you could place your faith in Him and be freed just like Joe was freed. That's good news. That's the Gospel. What the law could not do and that it was weak in the flesh. Yahweh did. In sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to condemn sin so that the righteousness of the law may be carried out in our life. Romans 8, verses 2-3. through It's not that the law was bad. It's that we were bad. It's that we broke it. And therefore we fell under the bad category. The law is always Yahweh's first word. When you parent your children, parents, law should always be your first word. A man by the name of Martin Luther said that you give the law to the hard-hearted you give the gospel to the brokenhearted. The law is always Yahweh's first word. It condemns, it convicts, it reproves, it rebukes. But The gospel is always Yahweh's final word. It frees the sinner, it gives new life, it reconciles and it restores. Like I said, the law is for the hard-hearted man. The gospel is for the brokenhearted men. So, what do you think Joe's response was when he got the good news? He'd gotten the law from the judge. He'd gotten the gospel from the guy that held his arm around his shoulder and said, I know you don't deserve this, but I'll take your place. What was Joe's response? How did Joe react to this gift of grace and mercy from the judge because of this other fellow that stepped in and took his place. Well, let me ask you, how would you react? Would it make you want to leave the courtroom and go back out and do the same things that put you there to begin with? No. It wouldn't, would it? Of course it wouldn't. Joe's response, and the response of all of the children of Yahweh, who are first broken, crushed by Yahweh's perfect standard, when they received mercy and grace, do you know what the response is from the children of Yahweh? It's a response of thankfulness. It's a response of gratitude. Joe didn't understand what had happened. He didn't realize how someone could love him like that. But he was thankful that someone loved him enough to take his place. Before, Joe had heard only the law. Don't steal, Joe. Don't kill, Joe. Don't commit adultery, Joe. That showed him his sin. But it didn't give him the power to do anything. But now Joe had experienced the gospel. Forgiveness. Grace. Mercy. And the product of that is that when that came, it had the power to make Joe not want to steal not want to kill, not want to fornicate. I hope you see the difference. And I'm afraid that too many of us have not experienced the sweetness of the gospel because we haven't yet realized that we are Job. We think that Yahweh loves us because of the few outward things we do for Him. It's not the case. Yahweh loved us while we were yet sinners. We didn't start loving Yahweh. Yahweh started loving us. We haven't come to grips with the truth that we are helpless, we're sinners, and we're enemies of the Almighty. And brothers and sisters, until we do, until we realize that, we will continue to try to love Yahweh in our own power. And we will try so hard that we will experience burnout. And when that burnout comes, it just might be the first time in our life that we see clearly our need for a Savior. I'm afraid that there's too many people in churches today that whether knowingly or unknowingly have been taught that they can save themselves by the things that they do or don't do. And that's not the gospel. That's works justification. That's works righteousness. It's not fruit as works. Or I should say not works as fruit, that's works as justification or innocence. That's not the gospel. Until you acknowledge that you're helpless, you won't be helped. Until you acknowledge that you can't save yourself, you won't be saved. The moment that you do acknowledge these things, and the moment you place your faith in the Savior, you're declared innocent in the courtroom. And the judge says, Joe, you're free to leave. The gospel has come to you, you who were brokenhearted. And out of a heart of gratitude for the good news, you then do not feel the force of the law. You then want to do what the law says to do. Because you're so thankful that you weren't put to death. That's the good news. It's something that we need to be reassured of over and over. Brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, Yahweh doesn't love you one day and love you less the next day or hate you one day and then love you for two days in a row and then goes back to hating you for a couple No, that's not how it works. Yahweh's love for you and Yahweh's declaration of your innocence, if you're in the Messiah, if you're in the Messiah, is based on one thing and one thing alone, and that's the Messiah. His perfect righteousness and what He did for us in His life, death, and resurrection. That's it. Everything else is commentary after that. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, I love You. I thank You. You're great. You're worthy. Father Yahweh, I pray that You would help me come to grips with this truth. I pray, Father Yahweh, that You would embolden me every day to follow in the footsteps of Your Son. And Father, I pray that I would never have any type of pride or boastfulness or bragging or any type of haughty spirit or attitude control my mind or my thoughts that when I get through I would just say I've done what I was supposed to do I'm an unworthy servant it's my reasonable service (laughs) Father, I pray that if there is someone in here today whose heart is not right with You, that You would perform heart surgery on them spiritually. They would come to faith in the promised Messiah. Place their trust and their hope in Him. Help us, Father Yahweh, this week. Keep us strong. Keep us in Your Word. Let us know, Father Yahweh, that although we are weak, you are strong. For it's through your Son I pray.